Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Not a lot of great people in the industry with big hearts, and they really want to make a difference, but they feel stuck a lot of times. They feel like, wow, I don't know if I can create the life I want within what I see in front of me. Hello everyone, I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Brian Cush, a CPA and executive leadership coach with Intend to Lead. I've been aware of Brian for a while now because he's a partner with one of our former guests, Sarah Elliott, also of Intend to Lead. The timing became right, and we've been looking to expand our geographical reach a little bit, so it just worked out to be able to schedule this episode with Brian. There are many gems in this episode, but if you're looking to expand your own career by developing your own leadership ability, this definitely will be a valuable episode. Also, I think you'll find quite a bit of value as well if you're looking to possibly strike out on your own at some point in the future, even if it's not in the core accounting professions. Brian's a CPA and he interfaces with accounting professionals every day, but his career has went much more in the direction of supporting the profession the last several years. If you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online as well. You can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of written and audio accounting career-focused materials. We have books, we have blogs, we have other podcasts, of course, and a few tools for employers as well. Once again, that site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Brian Cush. Well, hello, Brian. Thanks for making the time for us today. Thank you, Mark. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Brian Cush on the line with us today, and Brian is actually a partner with one of our former guests on the show, Sarah Elliott. Brian and Sarah are both CPAs, but they partner in an organization called Intend to Lead. It's been a while since Sarah was on the show, and I've been trying to expand the geographical reach of our show a little bit, so I thought it was about time to invite Brian on as well to get the rest of the story, you know? Brian, I definitely want to get into what you're doing now, you know, in the training and specifically in the leadership space. But what makes this really valuable for our listeners is to find out a little bit more about where you came from initially and what that you know, whole progression has been like. How did you initially decide to pursue accounting as a possible career in the first place? What made me pursue accounting? I go way back to when I was in college. And even a second year in college. So we're going back many years. And the way it was, I went to the University of Virginia, and I think a lot of other colleges are the same way, but you actually had to apply to your second year to get into the business school. So it wasn't a done deal. And you had to take a couple classes. One of them was an introduction to accounting class. And I remember just sitting in that class thinking two things. Number one, that I just really enjoyed it. And number two, that it, was, it just felt really hard to me. 
And I remember my study partner was a good friend of mine named Craig. And I was always comparing myself to Craig in that class. And he always seemed to know all the answers. And I just really didn't seem to be at the same level as him. And I was struggling, but I really enjoyed it. And I remember getting to the final exam, thinking a couple of things. One, how am I going to do? And, and also how much I really like the content of what accounting was about. And finally getting my exam back and seeing that I got an A and then I got an A minus for the class, that made me feel really proud because of how hard it was. But I said to myself, I remember thinking, hey, even if I don't do great on this exam, I still want to look into this accounting thing. And some of the things that intrigued me were, wow, when we're doing accounting, we're really measuring things in terms of numbers, but we're getting behind what the numbers are. There's always something that's going on at a company or in operations that's triggering these numbers. And accounting to me was you know, it's the language and the measurement of business. And so many of the things that accountants have to figure out, those things are going on in the real world, real operations and, you know, real theory. And it wasn't just simple math. It was, you had to think things through and think how you would account for things. And I just became hooked. I like to measure things in my life anyway. I, whenever I'm coaching someone, I always want to know, you know, how can you measure the value of what you're going to get out of this coaching? And even when I go to the gym, I, I like to measure my runs and and things like that. So I've always been a measurer and accounting just got me hooked on, wow, we can really measure what's going on in the business. And it forces us to have to learn about everything about that business, about the operations and about the risks that are involved. So I became hooked and not only loving those things, but then doing well in the class made me realize, yeah, I want to learn more about this accounting thing. And, and that was the start to going down a career in accounting for me. Interesting. You know, that's very insightful for that point in your life, you know, to be thinking along the lines of it being the language of business and it provides you real world measurements, you know, not just, I don't know, ticking and tying and <laughs> trying to balance. <laughs> you were seen down the road. You definitely were meant to be an accountant. Definitely. <laughs> I noticed you spent some time with EY or Ernst & Young, I guess is how we named it at the time. How did you get that job in the first place? And obviously, since you're you know, doing something a little different now, how do you feel that experience benefited you? Right. I got that job. So that was my first job, or I guess my first after-school job. I had done an internship with one of the big four, and then they came onto our campus, all of them, in, in interviews. And I was fortunate enough to get multiple offers and decided to go with, yeah, you're right. It was Ernst Young at the time, and now we call it EY. And wow, that really benefited my career in so many ways. Just the people that I got to meet, so many high achievers that motivated me and inspired me in some ways. I also feel like I was really exposed to so many different types of companies. I was an auditor, so I started as an auditor and, and I enjoyed auditing. And I was exposed to manufacturing companies, not-for-profits, some financial companies. You know, Some of those were startups. Some of those were really older companies. So I feel like I was able to be exposed to so many different companies, which made me feel like, wow, there's just so many possibilities out there. And, and one of the things that I realized in being in public accounting is, is it's such a good starting point for anything you want to do. Because again, especially as an auditor, you were just forced to learn everything you could about that business. And when you did that, you had a perspective and you got to see so many different parts of it. And so to me, it was like, wow, I'm an accountant, I'm an auditor now, but because I get to be so exposed to so many different people and operations and companies, 
I just feel strongly that it, it like opened up the world to anything that I wanted to do later. And I almost felt like, and I, and I don't know if I saw it exactly at the time, but I definitely see it as now. It's like, how was that? That was such a great way to be able to start a career because it just gave you insights and just a little peek into so many different businesses and leaders and the way things happen and all the operations. And so it just felt like, wow, I can do anything from here. And I guess another thing that I really felt like benefited me from working with EY is I uncovered something that was that I could be passionate about. At the end of my career there, we were experimenting with some new technology tools and just some opportunities came my way where I was able to be part of their implementation and especially their training. And that's one of the nice things about public accounting is you get opportunities, you know, recruiting and training, and there's just, you know, so many different ways that you can serve and add value to the firm. Well, I discovered that I really liked training and working with others. And, and my love of learning was just initially uncovered. And we had, again, a couple of technology tools and just to be able to be part of those training teams and work with people and see them learn. And I just uncovered that, wow, that can be a passion of mine. And that helped lead me to everything else that I've done in my career. So very thankful for that experience at EY. When you were describing your time in audit, it struck me as you seem like sort of a, a naturally curious individual. You know, you see something mm. and you want to know more. <laughs> you, mm. you want to learn more. And then when you transitioned into talking about training, I was just curious, <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough myself, how that connects. I'm wondering, you know, how the training and development side connects to sort of that need to know or that interest in knowing more. Yeah. I love that word, by the way, being curious. And I do feel like if we can bring more of a curious mindset to what we do, that it really does open up learning for others. You know, you, you've probably thought about times in your life where someone was just curious with you and it opened up a possibility for you to be able to learn something, something new, maybe a skill or a technology, but also something about yourself. So I think when we can bring more of that curious mindset, I do love that word, it just allows others to reflect and to keep the learning going and feel like they have that space to do that. So I think I definitely noticed, even when I was as young as I was back at EY, that I loved as much giving answers as I loved asking questions and just being curious with others and seeing how they could learn on their own, not having a completely preconceived notion about how others have to learn. And especially now sharing that with you, Mark, I think that makes me realize that, yeah, that curious mindset has opened up a lot. And I think it serves auditors also. You know, they have to be curious. They have to keep asking questions. They have to ask why, and they have to ask more open-ended questions. And, and that helps us to understand businesses. But if you even think about, you know, things like risk of fraud, I mean, the more questions we can ask, the more we're likely to uncover something. So I think that's a good word to use for accounting and for auditing and also for training and learning as well. Yeah, I didn't mean to go off subject, but that just, I was seeing a link there. And actually, I guess if you enjoy learning, well, when you help someone else learn, then that's, you know, exponentially feeding that love of learning, <laughs> you know, because it's not just right. you anymore, it's others. That's, hmm, I had never right. put that together. Yeah. Well, I noticed a couple other things when I, I was doing my pre-show research. You were with, or maybe are with, a couple organizations, Audit Watch and Audit Sense, and I hmm. have never heard of those. Could you tell us a little bit more about either one? Are they related or sure. I guess, what was that time in your life like? Yeah. So when I was with UI, 
I was not necessarily looking around for a new job. Yeah, and I had a few headhunters that would try to network with me or share opportunities, but I really loved what I was doing. I loved the people I was working with. However, there was someone who brought an opportunity my way, and it was with this company called Audit Watch. And it was a kind of a startup at that time. So it would have been 1999 or 2000, right around there. And when that opportunity came about, again, I wasn't looking, but I thought it was very curious, I use that word, in that it was a consulting company that served the accounting profession. And one of the big things that they did is they would travel around the country and help accounting firms to really challenge the way they were doing audit processes in a new way. And it was consulting and training and and it was allowing me to use my auditing skills because it was still somewhat technical, but it was taking more of that curious approach where you're going to be more of a consultant and a trainer and, and help people to uncover new ways that they can do audits using technology or just using a process where you challenge everything you're doing and seeing you know new ways you can do it. One of the things that we get into trouble with as auditors is we tend to rely too much on prior year work. And so we would, at AutoWatch, we'd say, hey, what's new? What's possible? What's something new that you can implement here and do it in a different way? So that opportunity came my way. I still thought I was young. I wanted to stay at EY longer, but I met the founder of AutoWatch. His name was Tom Houck, and I was really impressed by him. And I could tell right away that he believed in my ability. I think that was big for me. And so I took that plunge and I left to go to Audit Watch full-time and left EY. What was interesting though, at that time, we were very a seasonal company at Audit Watch. So we did so much of our work during the summer that during busy season, we didn't have as much work. So I would actually go back to EY and do a few audits during busy seasons for, I think, two times. So I kept my auditing skills very sharp during that time. But I really loved Audit Watch. It was an entrepreneurial company. We were creating new things. We were growing very fast. We attracted a lot of great people. And it was a fun time. Lots of travel, but I didn't mind at the time and and lots of learning. And I got to do training and consulting and that was Audit Watch. And I stayed there for nine years. I enjoyed it so much. And I felt like I had a lot of opportunities that came my way to let me kind of evolve myself within Audit Watch. But then in 2008, Thomson Reuters, which is a big company that does a lot of work in, in the accounting profession, they bought out Audit Watch. And Audit Watch was still alive under the Thomson Reuters umbrella. And one of my good friends and colleagues and I and, and myself were two of the, there was only three of us that didn't go along with the new company. And he started a company called Audit Sense that he, he runs to this day. And he, you know, there were some non-compete issues. So he wasn't actually allowed to compete with AutoWatch for a couple of years. And, you know, all that was honored. But I've been close friends with him. I've done a little bit of work for Audit Sense over the years. And I just realized that I could not stay on with Thomson Reuters. It was mostly my love for small business and being an entrepreneur. And I just thought that going to that bigger company was going to change something about me. And so what I decided at that time is maybe it was a nice clean break. Maybe I can just start my own thing. Now, I, I'd always thought about starting my own business and that was the time for me to be able to do it. And what had happened is at the end of my career at AutoWatch, I was more involved with sales. And so I hired my own sales coach. Uh, a friend of mine had given me the name of someone who was a good coach. And that helped me to be a better consultant, a better salesperson. But that coach really helped me to unlock something new inside me. And I became more intentional in my life. I became a better brother, a better friend, a better husband. I became more self-aware. I realized that I could uncover what's important to me in my life. And I can go out there and align that. 
with what I'm doing, how I'm showing up and all the actions that I take. So I became really hooked on coaching. And when Audit Watch was bought out by Thomson Reuters, I said, hey, if I'm ever going to start my own coaching practice, maybe this is the time to do it. So that kind of shares my history and how the whole Audit Watch thing went on and, and the creation of Audit Sense by my friend and colleague, Chuck Manganello is his name. He started that company after the buyout. And, and I went and started my own coaching company at the time. Yeah. Okay. Now, is that Moxie? Yeah. So I was a solopreneur, Mark, for seven years. I've worked under the, yeah, the umbrella of Moxie Partners. And since I had worked in the accounting profession, since I knew a lot of people in the accounting profession, I mostly did coaching for accountants and some training and some special projects that were mostly leadership development related, but I would do mostly one-on-one coaching. Another thing that I uncovered at my time at AutoWatch is and one of my true strengths wasn't always about being the great leader up in front of a group of 10 or 15. It was how I interacted with people in one-on-one manner and how I was able to help people uncover what really mattered to them. So I realized that coaching was where I wanted to go. And yes, so Moxie Partners, I was a solopreneur. It was just me for seven years. And I did some training and some coaching. I did a little bit of work with Audit Sense where they would have certain levels of training where, hey, Brian, we want to get you in here to do some of those softer leadership skills training. So I would do some work there as well. But for seven years, yeah, I was on my own as a solopreneur and it was Moxie Partners was the name of the company I ran under. So what does your business look now? Obviously, you work with Sarah as well. I guess, how has your business grown or progressed over the years? Yeah. So I just feel so fortunate to do what I do now. My job, it's almost like a fantasy camp because of the people (laughs) I get to work with and what I get to do. And I was just so fortunate about three and a half years ago to meet Elliot. And we hit it off right away. We both had similar backgrounds. We were both CPAs. We both took the plunge to being a leadership coach. And so a colleague of ours introduced us to each other after we had both spoken at a conference, but we didn't meet each other there. So we we entered into a few conversations over the phone. And I could just tell immediately that we shared a similar vision about how we want to positively impact the industry and also our values and our love for entrepreneurship. And so we just hit it off really well right away. And eventually that turned into, after a failure or two, that turned into a leadership development company called Intend to Lead. And we started that together. And again, I just have to pinch myself for what this company has become. So we do leadership coaching. We do one-to-one coaching. We also do group coaching. We also do what we call innovation labs and some other group learning. And our real mission is we want to coach CPAs to access what we call the dimension of possible. And so one of the things Sarah and I have really noticed in our industry is sometimes we have a lot of great people in the industry with big hearts and they really want to make a difference, but they feel stuck a lot of times. They feel like, wow, I don't know if I can create the life I want within what I see in front of me or with the model that I see right now in especially public accounting, but in also some other related industries where there's a lot of accountants, but they struggled in seeing that. They see scarcity and they're fearful. And so what we want to coach people to is, you know, what we think the industry needs, which is, you know, the industry's changing and we need new possibilities. You know, we need a place where people can sit in discomfort and struggling and, and figure out new ways that we can actually create new possibilities. And we feel like that new possibility, they need to come from love, from love of what you're doing, love of the future, love of the present and love of who you're working with. And from that, you have the power to create what is possible for you and for your company and for your teams. And so we really want to change the mindset, one from scarcity and fear to one of 
of true possibility, love, and yeah, what's really possible. I'm glad you touched on that because just right before we got on the call, that line that you have online had caught my attention. I believe the future of the accounting profession depends on our capacity to love. I was intrigued by that. That's not something you see on LinkedIn every day. You know? <laughs> right, Mark. My heart starts a little when you say that, when I hear another person say that. Because I'll tell you, maybe five, seven, eight years ago, I never would have been comfortable saying that in a company that our mission is actually about love. That just feels weird to me. But now when I really see what is possible when people really embrace love and we think of love as, as you know, full 100% acceptance of where you are now and, and where you are going, you know, where are you going and where are you now? And we think that a lot of accountants need to sometimes just fall in love with, hey, where am I right now? And can I be okay with who I am now? And if I can do that and still look to the future and uncover what I want, then wow, there's a lot of possibilities and I bring my best self to that. So thank you for sharing that. It means something just to hear another person say it. It makes me realize how far I've come with that. I would never have been comfortable with what you just said years back. It is a bold statement. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Love one another. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're thinking about the profession now. It sounds like you do a lot of your work with accounting firms or accountants, period. Is that correct? Yeah, we almost exclusively target accounting firms. Yes. So that is who we work with. That is who we know. And yeah, that's our target for sure. Well, you you may have already answered this, but what leadership gaps do you see in firms these days or, you know, either Hmm. with the more experienced folks or entry level folks? I mean, what challenges do you see that we should be working on? Yeah. So what are some leadership gaps that we should be working on in the accounting profession? Yeah, I may have touched on this first one. I think there are two at least. And maybe I'll I'll see if I come up with some more. But the first one, I believe, is more, I think it's going to be more and more important as our industry is really transformed, you know, to be able to get comfortable with ambiguity, with not knowing answers. And we have to embrace more of a, I guess I'll call it a learner's mindset versus an expert mindset. When I'm an expert, and I know a lot of accountants that can feel comfortable in that expert mindset, and that can serve them well. But when I'm a an expert, I know what the answers are, and they're based on something I've learned in the past or, or something I've studied. But when I take a learner's mindset versus that expert mindset, I become more comfortable in exploring new ways of seeing things and new creative ideas, and I can partner with my organization or with clients, and I can collaborate, and I'm more of a partner where we can create new things together. And I believe as our industry gets transformed and we know that's happening, it's going to happen if it hasn't already, we've got to be able to embrace some of the ambiguity of not knowing the answer and saying, hey, how can we sit in not knowing and come up and craft some new innovative ways to do things? And I think where leadership comes into play there is a good leader will create the space to do that and let people know that it's okay if we don't have the answer now. Let's work on it together and let's brainstorm and collaborate. And I think that's hard for some accountants because accountants like certainty and they like being the expert and knowing answers. And so it's a little bit of a change, I think, for that. Instead of knowing the answers, maybe let's sit in not knowing the answers. And instead of knowing the answers, maybe we need to ask different questions. And I see that as a challenge for our industry. It's about how our industry starts when you interview and you first come into it. It's usually about the answers that you provide and your technical skills. Maybe we need to start listening to people and asking them about what their questions are and grade them more on that and being able to explore things instead of having the answers. Because I think in this new world, in this way that our industry is going to be transformed, we're not going to have all the answers. 
I think more of our value is going to be, come from being able to sit in not knowing the answers and coming up with new ways to do things. So that is really one of them. I guess the other way I think that there's a gap is, and this is related, is our ability to welcome and really embrace vulnerability in the workplace. So we need to be more human. And that means as a leader, modeling for others, what does it mean to be vulnerable? When I say vulnerable, some examples might be like admitting a mistake when you make it, sharing a weakness, or even asking for help. Those are things that are not easy to do at all, especially in the workplace, especially where we feel like we have to prove ourselves so much to others. But what they do is when as a leader, if I can share with others that I sometimes don't know the answer or that I have made a mistake or that I have a weakness, it actually creates a lot of safety for other people in that environment and on that team. Because when I see a leader being vulnerable and authentic, I feel like I can do the same. I can be real. I can let people know what's really going on. And I found that people feel really comfortable when they can be vulnerable with others. They really connect. I see teams that can really do and accomplish great things when they feel like, wow, I don't have to hide who I am. I can just be real. I don't have to beat around the bush. I can just share with people what's really going on for me. And what that does is it really creates trust. I think we need more of that connection, more of that trust in the workplace. But what we really need is we need leaders on the vulnerable first. Sometimes I'll use the term getting naked. They need to get naked first because when they get naked first, it just lets everyone else feel like they can do the same. And that's when we can do great things together. So yeah, being comfortable and being more comfortable within ambiguity and not knowing the answer and creating space for others to do so and really embracing and welcoming vulnerability and being the leader that gets naked first for others. Those are definitely <laughs> a few gaps. Yeah. Well, I select the clip usually you know, 20 seconds or so out of each podcast. I put it in the front you know, after we're done editing, and I will not be selecting that clip that involves <laughs> the getting naked first because that, that may not be the right way to start off the show. <laughs> yeah. Mark, it's funny you say that because, yeah, as I've started to use that word more, I have to be careful about putting that in email because people will say their emails will get blocked. So yeah. let's go with vulnerability, being vulnerable, vulnerable leadership. There we go. Yeah, I'm curious. So from the outside coach perspective or from the coach perspective, are there signs you look for or signs you've learned to notice when a firm is really you know, ready for coaching or, or they're open to it? You know, is there, are there things you can see from the outside that they have a learner mindset or that they are you know, showing some vulnerability? Is there anything you can see as a coach that lets you know that, yeah, they're ready? Yeah, I, I think so. I think when we notice a person or a group of people where they're, first of all, they're usually saying and talking about how they're not reaching their potential. So it's usually about that. Hey, I feel like I could be doing more. But what they do is I think they get vulnerable and they realize, you know who the biggest person is who's holding me back? That's myself. It's not the rest of the world out there that I really can't control. So when they get really vulnerable and they realize, hey, I can be the one to bring me out or to develop a new skill or to reach a new goal. And the barrier is probably me. And that's what coaching does. It invites really vulnerable conversations about what's getting in the way of you reaching your potential or moving whatever is important to you forward. And so, yes, when we can see that vulnerability, when people have some awareness around, it's probably has at least a little bit to do with me and I can work on me. And if I can work on me, then I can remove that barrier. And wow, what is possible when I do that? So I, I think that's a big part of being coachable or being open to what the benefits of coaching are. 
which is being a little bit vulnerable and saying, a lot of this is about me, what I'm putting up in terms of my own barriers, getting in my own way to what I say is success for me. Yeah, it's a little bit, I guess, if they're asking for help or they're showing an interest in the coaching, then that's admitting <laughs> the classic, I'm admitting I have a problem you know, kind right. of situation. So, sure. Right, Mark. And you'd be surprised about how much just by doing that, they actually remove a barrier or they move forward. They'll even start acting in new ways just by asking for coaching or admitting that they're open to it. That in itself can be a huge movement forward for them because they've removed the idea that it's about the rest of the world and they've taken responsibility for what they can control, which is themselves. Yes, that can be a huge part of the coaching, which is just the openness and the readiness to be coached. Sure. Wonderful. I'm circling back here a little bit because I made a note. Something you said piqued my curiosity. You said you had some failures and you learned some lessons when you were starting out. Is there anything in there that you can think of that would help, you know, future entrepreneurs, you know, maybe they're starting an accounting firm, yeah, as opposed to a coaching business, but anything you can identify that you learned through that process? Sure. Yeah. So a couple of things that come up for me, especially because one of them indirectly touched on is I failed or I did something that I might consider a failure really early on, even before my career started. And since you had to start from the beginning, I can still remember going back to right before my career started and I had received a couple offers from a couple firms and I had done an internship with Arthur Anderson, that's what they were called at the time. And I was really considering KPMG and, and Ernst and & Young. And those were really, I think I'd eliminated Arthur Anderson. Those were the two finals that I really thought about, where should I go work? And at the last second, when I really had a deadline of where I had to share where I wanted to go, I chose KPMG. And I think I chose KPMG because a lot of my friends were going to go there. They seemed to be the hot firm within my school, at my university. And it just seemed like a lot of people were talking them up about how they were you know, really helpful and the nice people that we met on the interview process. And so at the last second, I felt like I just made that decision mostly based on what I thought others thought. And I remember I didn't eat, I didn't sleep for about a day and a half because there was something in my heart, there was something in the back of my mind that was telling me that maybe that wasn't the decision for me. And I realized after a day and a half of no sleep and no food, that that wasn't, that I had to listen to my heart instead of my brain and what others were telling me. And I realized that I have made way more connections and more friendships with the people that I met at Y. And even though not many people at my school were going there, I had to go out and do that and realize that that was the place for me. And I think that was the first crossroads in my life where I had to think, hey, I need to trust my intuition as much as my brain and, and the analysis I would do. And so I, I think I was 21 years old and I had to call up the partner at KPMG and tell to him that, that I had lied or that I made a mistake <laughs> and that I was not going to come work for you. And, and I was surprised how gracious he was. And that made me feel good. And and afterwards, it just, after I made that decision, after I called the partner at KPMG and then called someone at EY, it was just the easiest thing in the world to sleep and eat. And I knew I had made the right decision. And as hard as that was for a 21-year-old, those 36 hours, they were really hard. I was calling my family and, and getting emotional around it. I wouldn't trade that for the world because it made me realize how I need to trust myself as much as others and let my heart guide me in some situations and not just you know, all the analyses and the numbers and, you know, getting feedback from others. So that was a time where I might consider that a failure, but in retrospect, wow, what a gift to be able to go through that. One other idea that comes up for me is, yeah, when I first started, Sarah Elliott and I co-founded Intend to Lead, 
we were hot to trot around creating a leadership development program that was going to be public for the accounting industry. So we knew a lot of accounting firms and we were going to ask them to send a couple people to this public session that we would do for one year. And it was going to include coaching and group learning and maybe group coaching and you know virtual training sessions. And we just had this in our mind, how awesome it was going to be. And, and that was the impetus for us starting to, to, to work together. And Mark, we didn't sell one slot. We didn't sell one seat. It was a failure. And I remember Sarah and I feeling really, really pressured when we just had a few months to go before the program was just going to start and and almost giving ourselves permission to say, hey, this isn't working. And what was really nice around that is it was the opportunity for us to pivot our company. And we had been able to talk to a lot of organizations. So we didn't sell that program very well at all, but we got intimate with a few organizations and we uncovered some ways that we could help them more internally with their programs. And so we were able to, after a struggle or two, pivot the company and say, hey, we're going to actually create a full company here where Sarah and I are going to go into business together and, and not just a program and call it an intend to lead. And then we can partner with CPA firms to help them innovate their approach to leadership development. And so one failure there, which was a significant failure, became the vehicle upon which we pivoted the company and uncovered something you know, where we could make more progress with. Yeah, it's, a, it's always important to be comfortable with change, you know, be be open to just calling it a mistake and moving on. (laughs) Right, right. And then asking yourself, yeah, what can we learn from this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, but there's one more thing I wanted to ask you before we get to that part. If I'm listening to this podcast and I'm a young up and coming professional, or maybe I'm about to graduate, you know, with my bachelor's or master's in accounting, but I want to make sure I develop my leadership ability, you know, those skills as much as possible. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah. So you want to, as a younger person, you want to develop your leadership abilities. A couple of things that come up for me there is number one, just become almost obsessed with self-awareness. You know, so your own self-awareness. So become intentional about allowing yourself some reflection time, maybe every day, maybe once a week, maybe just a few minutes while you're on your own. And you can ask yourself questions like, what are my true strengths? What do I see emerging as a true talent that I have? What could be some of my blind spots or my weaknesses? You know, are there things where maybe I'm not good at something and I just don't know it or it's emerging? Or maybe I can ask for feedback from others on where they think I'm struggling or where I'm doing well. You know, what are my triggers? What gets me in a bad mood? What brings out the worst in me? And what are some of those triggers? And can I just start noticing them? You know, and and even some simple questions like, how did I show up today? Did I show up the way I wanted to? Did I create an intention about how I showed up when I was in that meeting and I wasn't doing great? What was going on for me there? And really giving yourself time to reflect on how you're showing up in the world and your own strengths and your own weaknesses. I think that's so important for people. I always see a correlation between being strongly self-aware and being a great leader. And we can start that type of reflection early on in our career. And sometimes I like to think about it as splitting yourself out into two different people. There's the person that's out there doing stuff and moving forward and creating all kinds of actions and behaviors. But then there's also that other person, that person who gets to observe that person. So split yourself out into two people. And spend some time observing who you are. You know, think about your day and be a fly on the wall and say, hey, you know, I was showing up in a really positive way today. What what made that happen? What allowed that to happen? And so I think it's really important. And you can do this, especially early on in your career, 
you can start it. There's nothing stopping you. You know, it's just become obsessed with your own self-awareness. So that would be one. Another one is, and I, I remember reading this in a book or maybe talking to a client about it. And it's just from whatever age you're at, you know, think about recruiting your own dream team. You know, who are the people in your life that you can recruit that can be, I've heard some people call it your own personal board of directors. So maybe that's, I don't know, three, four, five people who you really admire and they can mentor you or challenge you or hold you in line. People that believe in you, people that can, you can get advice from people that you can share your dreams with and people you can share your values with and share what your vision is and and what's really important to you in life. And they can help hold you accountable for living those values and they can challenge you. They can support you. You They're going to be the people that really help you by surrounding yourself with them to make your most positive impact in this world as a leader, as a contributor. So yeah, think about, you know, who are the people in your life that maybe you're already attracting or that you can attract you know, that can be your dream team, you know, that will hold you in line with what you say is important and have regular discussions and talks with them. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone you talk to less, but really having them support you. And, and another side of that would be is how can you do that for others too, you know, which is how can you help others to really create their own vision and hold them accountable for what they say is important. So I think those would be the two things. Become obsessed with self-awareness and surround yourself with a team of people that can be your own personal board of directors that can help you to get to where you want to go and, and that will be really honest with you. Those are good points. You know, that in the beginning of our careers, we're a little less busy and it's easier to have some of that self-reflection. And then the more success you get, the busier you get. And then you lack some of that self-reflection time. And then the return on your busyness just gets lower and lower. <laughs> Right. That's, that's, wow. That's good advice for all of us. Right. And, and, and Mark, you're right. That is hard for us, especially when we get busy, right? We don't feel like we can allow ourselves the time to slow down so we can reflect, right? We always have to be moving and I've got to be busy. But in a lot of ways, if we can actually slow down, reflect, we can come up with new ways on how we can do things even better. So it's hard, but we, yeah, we need to give ourselves permission to slow down so that we can later speed up and be reflective for sure. Definitely. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and I do have these last three questions that I ask every podcast guest. The first one is, from a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? So it's interesting because when you use the word career, I think of my career as just what I started after college. But I'm, I'm going to share my proudest moment just because it's what sticks in my heart. And okay. it's what, when I was 16 years old. And I was working at Wendy's. I always had a job when I was young. I was always working, sometimes multiple jobs. But I worked at Wendy's with a few friends. And I can remember struggling in that job as well. I actually was too much of a perfectionist. I can remember my manager getting on me about what I was on the sandwich station creating sandwiches. And I didn't even do a good job at that. I was being too picky with how many pickles need to go on there and the mustard and the ketchup and all of that. And so I can still remember being sensitive about, hey, was I going to be fired from this job? Was I not going to make it as, you know, as just a worker there at Wendy's? And there was one night where it was a Friday night. There was me and a manager and maybe three or four other folks, and they were getting off their shift. And I was doing a double shift that night. And the three or four other people that were supposed to come and work that night somehow all became ill at the same time. I think there was something fishy going on, but none of them could come to the second shift. And we were trying to call people to get people on that second shift. And it was just me and the manager. We couldn't get anyone else to the restaurant. And at that, literally a couple minutes later, a football game lets out, a high school football game lets out. And the 
restaurant is flooded with people and there's just the two of us there. And I remember asking him, I said, are we going to close the store? Because there's no way that we can do this. And there's no way. I was barely holding on to the job there. And I was thinking, how can we do this? The drive through was at capacity as well. And I remember him. He went down to the ground, was going to pick up some piece of trash. And he just looked up at me, that manager. And he said, Brian, we can do this. In fact, I know you can do it. And just by the way he said it, it just challenged everything about myself and how I felt. And believe it or not, I was running hamburgers on the grill. I was doing the cash register. I was cleaning up in the restaurant while he was doing the entire drive-through. I have no idea how we made it through that night, but we did. And I just remember feeling like, wow, I challenged everything about myself. And part of that was because someone just expressed a significant belief in me. And from going to thinking that I'm going to get fired and what am I going to tell people I got fired and to going to me and that one manager ran a whole store with probably 60 people coming through in about 20 minutes. And so that is a moment that I just, my heart comes back to just feeling so proud and just remembering the power of belief. When we express a belief in others, how they really want to live up to that and how powerful that can be. And so that story stands out to me as something I'm so proud of and such a a great learning point, too. He inspired a future leadership coach. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. That is neat. Well, second question, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course, because seriously, that's where the gold is. But the bigger, the better. Yeah, I feel like I've made a few mistakes I've already shared. You know, the mistake of when I accepted that one job, the mistake of how Sarah, I don't know if I call it a mistake, but the, the awesome learning opportunity we had when we started Nintendo Lead. Mm. So, Mark, as I mentioned before, I was a solopreneur for seven years. So I ran Moxie Partners and I did my own coaching and I was the boss. And every single time I would go out and get a new coaching client or new engagement, that just meant more money for me and more success and all that. And I can control everything about it. And, and I loved coaching and I loved seeing people transform and, and how addictive that was for me. And, you know, to really see someone step into their own problems and challenges and be brave and come up with some new ideas. I was always hooked on this coaching and, and I liked being a solopreneur. I enjoyed running my own thing and I had no one else to talk to or, or no one else to account to, I guess is a better way to say it. But then when I met Sarah and we created Intend to Lead, I realized that some of the things that I did as a solopreneur just didn't work. You know, and we have a growing company now with an awesome team. And, and I had to learn early on that I wasn't a solopreneur anymore. And the big part of that was I realized early on that I was creating problems for Sarah because, and it wasn't intentional or I think conscious, but I was at times being tougher on her than I would have on myself. And I realized that when I was a solopreneur, the only person I had to trust was myself. And I could always work harder or, or feel like I could improve at something. But when I worked with a partner and when we had a growing team, I had to really trust other people to make good decisions and you know to show up with the brand that I thought was really important. And so I realized I was being overly critical of Sarah in ways. And when she called me in an awesome way on it, it made me realize that, wow, I was running a company now that's growing and we're bringing out lots of people. And, and I was running it like a solopreneur, like I was the only one that had to be accountable and I was the only one that I could trust. And, and then I realized, wow, I've somehow attracted this person in my life, Sarah Elliott, who is one of the most amazing people I've ever met and who I would trust with anything, but I wasn't trusting her. And so that was a big aha moment for me where I realized, wow, I can grow now. 
if I see it, if I notice my challenge, if I know what I'm doing, then I can do something about it. So when I realized that I wasn't trusting her and there's no one better I could ever trust than her, it just shifted something for me and made me realize, wow, I really was a solopreneur and I only worked on myself and I didn't have to trust anyone else. And now by creating this bigger company, it really was a great opportunity for me to grow. And so I put some, it was tough on Sarah. I appreciate her patience during that time. And, and it was definitely something that I had to learn from, you know, that a lot of times we increase trust by it and others by just trusting them more, just by putting yourself out there and, and telling people that you trust them and realizing that when you, it's like sharing that belief that that Wendy's manager is with me. When I share with someone that I really trust them, then they actually want to, they want to live up to that. And so that was a great moment of learning for me that I stumbled upon by making a mistake there. Sure. There's a good lesson in there because we just don't learn enough about trust. And this isn't exactly the same, but delegation in school. (laughs) There should be more exercises along those lines because, you know, whether you're bringing on partners or you're starting to manage people, either way, you have to let go. And it's a hard thing to do. Actually, for, I think, accountants smart because a lot of them are very perfectionist-oriented, right? Yeah. And they might say, hey, I might do it this way or I would do it this way. And a lot of trust is actually, what I learned is a trust is actually allowing the other person to fail a little bit. When you're a solopreneur, you can fail and you work it out. But when others fail, hey, you've got to give them the space to be able to do that. Because you know, we all will fail at some things. To be able to provide people the space to do that really empowers them, for sure. And that shows up a lot in delegating and and yeah, allowing others to do things where we feel like, oh, I could do it this way or I could do it, you know, the way I know how, but I don't know how they'll do it. So I have to really trust them, you know, even though they might do it in this case, many times better. But yeah, it creates a lot of learning and a lot of challenges within ourselves. Wonderful. Good points. Definitely. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I don't know if I saw this in a book or a TED talk. I don't remember the origin of this, but when I face some of my biggest challenges in my life or especially people that I may see as challenging, that for whatever reason, I'm going to have, you know, maybe they're someone close to you or someone in your family or just someone that challenges you in a different way. The advice that I received is whenever you see a challenging situation or you're working, especially when you're working with someone that you feel is challenging and for whatever reason, they're in your life for a reason. In fact, you can change that to be a good thing. You can see it as an opportunity to learn about yourself. So when we see those people who challenge us the most, we can see that as a gift. You know, it's a gift for being able to learn about ourselves and be able to grow. So sometimes we can feel like, hey, why was this person in my life? Or why did this challenge come to me? You know, maybe it's not fair. Well, what about looking at it from the perspective of, wow, maybe this person or this challenge, maybe they can be a true gift to me because that gives me the opportunity to learn something new about myself that I would not have if that challenge was not in my life. And maybe to even grow past it if that challenge was not in my life. So that's really served me well. You know, when I start to think about something that's challenging me, you know, how can I learn from it and what can I learn about myself and what can I grow? And then actually saying, hey, maybe this person or this challenge was in my life for a reason and that's going to make me a better person. So that's something I learned many years ago that I've never stopped thinking about because it serves me in those difficult times. That's so true. It's definitely a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Yeah. We get to choose our perspective. Yeah. And that's one of the most powerful things we have. Right. Yes. For sure. Well, thank you, Brian. That is really good advice to end this on. I couldn't have planned it any better. (laughs) Thank you. Well, for our audience, this has been Life and Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. You can find the show notes for all our episodes. Plus, we have an extraordinary amount of career-related content to help you move your own career forward as well. That website, once again, is whereaccountantsgo.com. If you happen to be an employer, we also have publications for you on hiring that may be useful also. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. It occurs to me I should ask you what's the best way to contact you if people want to know more about Moxie Partners or Intend to Lead. Where's the best place to find you online? So intendtolead.com. So that's intend, I-N-T-E-N-D, the number two, and then lead, it's all one word, .com is a place where you'll see all of our links to our Twitter accounts and social media and LinkedIn and both myself and Sarah, our emails and the rest of our teams are on there as well and our contact information. So that's probably the best place. You can sign up for our newsletter if you have any interest in that as well. So intendtolead.com is probably the best simple place to reach us, Mark. Beautiful. Well, I've appreciated your time and thank you to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.